Gregory, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Like it's been what? A couple days? Um, yeah, lots happened. It seems like that seems to be the more regular um, ebb and flow of things these days. A lot, a lot is happening. A lot is going on. But you wouldn't wish for a moment for it to slow down, would you? I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know how. I don't know how long the pace uh, can be sustained. But you know, every time you think that we're in high gear as a country and as a world, we just kind of find another higher gear and keep keep the gas pedal on the ground and, the one and good news is that keep the, going. The one good news is that those killer hornets we've at, we've not heard from them again. Okay, that's I'm it's, grateful for that. It's biblical. It's biblical. It's biblical, but you know, maybe we need to write another book, another chapter, another chapter, another verse. The Gospel of Gregorio. So let, let me set you up here. You, uh, the Gospel of Gregorio. You were in the LA Times this morning, I am told. And as yeah. uh, uh, tell us both what was published, what you were quoted as saying, and what was the reaction to it. So the Los Angeles Times wrote an article today. This is how I woke up. This is how I wake up nowadays. Uh, I woke up to a story saying that the California Republican Party, a place where I began my career, a place where I was essentially, I, I met you right before I started working there in the late 1990s, um, is going to be taking action to uh, pull my delegates uh, status. My status as a voting member of the California Republican Party away from me because I've been involved in the Lincoln Project, and because I've been involved in very anti-Trump activities. Damn, they, they, what are you going to do without that membership? <laughs> I uh, Well, as a good friend said to me, as long as I'm still a member of AAA, I'm in, a, in an organization that gives me some value back. So I think, I think I'm okay. I think I will survive this. Uh, you know, when the reporter called, I thought it was a little bit funny. I wasn't actually sure if I was a member or not. I don't remember paying dues, and I haven't voted on anything in a couple of years. Uh, the last time I went to a Republican convention, I, I believe for more than a few minutes to cast a vote, was uh, to, to protest and talk to the media about Steve Bannon's appearance. Huh. The California Republican Party has somehow embraced the, or given a platform to Steve Bannon and to Sheriff Joe Arpaio and as it continues its descent into this white nationalist, populist nationalist peculiarity um you know I, I i i have been mourning the loss of my life and career's work for the better part of you know a number of years it didn't start with trump it's been it's been happening for some time but it's just it found a higher gear too and um you know i a lot of the feedback has been really interesting a couple of things happen all day i've been getting texts and direct messages on twitter and kind of the feedback Overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly positive. Um, and in fact, uh, just, just about an hour ago, a delegate, another delegate wrote and, and went public and said, I'm with Mike, I'm with Lincoln Project on this. I'm out to go ahead. If you're gonna ban, start banning people and you're gonna have to ban me too. So the Republican party as, as, as marginalized as it's become is still fracturing. It's kind of like a windshield just cracking into a million different pieces at the moment. And it's made me think, I, I spoke around lunchtime with a very, very high level Republican official who um, was jokingly kind of saying, this is the kind of you know headlines I get, Mike, not you, again, just as a joke. 
Um, but we, we immediately kind of went back into this discussion that we had never had before. I've known this person for 30 years. And he, he started to kind of parrot sort of the Fox News lines and the, you know, deep state stuff. And I worked in, you know, and familiar with intelligence officials and the Bidens and blah, blah, blah. I kind of pulled back and said, you know, um, we've never really gotten into, the, into these discussions, mainly because I've never opposed a, a party like this before. But it, the sense I'm getting from you is this same sense of loss that I went through a couple of years ago when I realized the Republican Party was no longer, had an ideological core. It was no longer the home of conservatism. And what you're, what you're letting go of is kind of your status in it, your identification with it, your familiarity with it, your, your sense of community, your identity, your tribe, your people. And it, it, I, I could relate to it because I had to go through that as I started to shed all of that. As you build a career, you build relationships, you build a network, you build, you become a, a, a consultant um, um, where you hire people and employees and contractors and you get hired by people. And you're, you become a peg in this, in this, in this um, pegboard of status. And it explains why so many Republicans nationally can't, dump Trump, even though they know it's morally reprehensible, even they know it's damaging the country, they don't know who they are outside of it. Right. So let me, let me stop there and, and throw some things back. One I'm hearing, you didn't know you were a member of a party, which says a lot about political parties in this country. One, I think the, the AARP has more hold on their members than either major party does because they, people pay dues just yeah. the newsletter, one. Two, uh, the party you're in and perhaps a, another major party uh, isn't about ideas anymore. It's about, it's about networks, it's about power, uh, it, it's about click, it's a click, it's a gang, it's a, it's a collective, uh, it's a cartel of sorts for people uh, at the top who are looking for jobs in Washington every four years perhaps. And so you're, you're telling me this person who, uh, who will go unnamed uh, with some status within that party is is coming down on you because he's finally realizing that, oh my God, if he were to split in the way you have, split from the party, then he would actually be losing his world. He would be losing his milieu. He would be losing his friend. He would, so it's not about ideology, which is interesting. You're breaking it down to, he would be losing his friends and his clients. Is that right? That's right. He'd be losing his tribe. He loses everything that he has spent his entire adult life and career and professional capacity building. It's tough for me as somebody who's almost 50 years old and I've been working in Republican politics since I was you know, 19, 20 years old. And I registered as a Republican, immediately started doing campaigns. This is all that I have known. So, but, but let's, let's go back to something. So basically it makes sense though. So if, 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 if independent, the cost of independence is, is, is loneliness, then the cost of belonging is a certain amount of conformity, right? So I mean, it makes sense though. If, 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 they want, if you want to be in a club, then you're going to have to abide by what the majority of yeah. those people say, right? So, so why shouldn't they kick you out? Well, that, and that, that's the quote from the woman who I think is spearheading this was, <laughs> we have to ensure a certain level of discipline. 
You have to ensure a certain level of discipline. Um, yeah. So there's a certain level of conformity that's required. But, but, but and that led, I guess to, to a certain extent, that's uh, uh, there, there was a lot that was revealing about this. There's a lot of the, the, the word, use of the word discipline, which I get is understandable to a certain degree. The fact that they could not recall the last time that they had actually kicked delegates out uh, ever. Nobody could recall the last time this happened. They also could not um, say for certain that other delegates, remember these are voting delegates in the Republican Party of California, the highest level of activists and, and consultants and people of the hierarchy of this tribe. They, they couldn't say for sure how many were actually going to vote for Joe Biden compared to Trump. They know, they know that there are people that are not supporting the candidate. The problem is you cannot publicly speak out against the dear leader. You cannot do it. But, but here's what's interesting to me, that parties generally are sort of a, a, an amalgam of a lot of different people, a lot of different interests, and a lot of different groups, the Democrats more than the Republicans. But they're broad. They're, they're millions of people. And again, the party system is really... These are not real parties. They're people, you know, people don't pay. Again, there's not a lot of intimacy between one's the individual and that institution. There's a lot of bullshit committees. There's not a lot of ownership. There's not yeah, a lot of buy-in and ownership. And having right. said that, so parties generally don't require discipline. What's interesting, but movements require discipline, right? Movements require discipline, a message and knocking off people who disagree with you because you're trying to dominate the message. So it seems to me the party, it, it, the party's becoming a marginal movement and therefore needs to get rid of the diversity within it so it can be about one thing. And in this case, weirdly enough, it's about Trump. Yeah, I think what's even weirder is, and I guess that's an important distinction, but a party by, you know, by definition, the job of the party, uh, this was, you know, when I went into politics as a profession, it was made very clear to me, the job as a political operative, whatever, wherever hierarchy you are in, is to increase the size of the party. The goal is to grow the party. And you grow the that's parties by tying different interests together, right? By broadening, Correct. so oh, you want this? You're, you're interested in this legislation. We, the rest of us, can live with that. And you would, you grow the party by growing the, the number of interests you can, it can hold. So what I'm saying is, this is the, what's happening to you shows the downsizing of that party into a sliver movement. And yeah, it, it's it, devolved. It's devolved that, into something. It's evolved into something completely different. It has no interest in growing anymore. And right. it has not for some time. What has changed in the era of Trump is it's moved from this party that has admitted its own irrelevance and come to terms with that and is now accepting its loser status as being virtuous. They are martyrs for losing. And the smaller and more righteous they get, the more of the need to expunge those that do not meet that criteria. It's and, fascinating. And again, just speaking, you know, from a non-political point of view, it's more meaningful for those who remain, right? So for those who were in a broad party with the different constituencies that were included, they're going to go by the wayside. And the people who stay, as you said, will derive some sort of feelings of honor, of wounded, of sort of the pride of the loser, and hunker down, and they will be. It will be, again, this meaningful attachment to this small group, win or lose, 
It's like the lost yeah. cause. That's what it reminds me of. It's like uh, it's, a a it's like a it's like a it's like a cowboy song. It's like I may have lost everything, but I'm still the king. So in, in some sense, there's this is this squeezing down to the true believers who will who will cry for it in a sense that, that you know the ones who die for it believe in it more than you. So but what, what I wanted to, I wanted to tap into something you, you said the word tribal a lot. And one of the one of the things that strikes me about this country is how tribalism became a bad word. And I don't know how how it started. I mean essentially we have this myth that we're a country of individuals. I, I don't see it personally, but in the really, I mean, there is this idea that because we're a class society, because we don't have an aristocracy, we don't really abide by tradition, we don't really abide by, you know, do what your father and grandfather did, et cetera, et cetera, that we have a group of individuals constantly in search of a group, constantly in search of some sort of approval of a mass audience. I mean, this is, and it's perfect for the Instagram age. So, so it seems to me that we have people flailing to become part of whatever majority that seems to emerge at that moment. And I, I wonder if I can get some thoughts on you. You're getting punished for being an individual in this case, but I'm wondering if you are one of the last individuals. So, so at a time that seems so deeply conformist, it's not enough to be, believe in your righteousness. It's not enough. It seems to be the need to wipe out those who you deem not righteous. That seems to be the tenor of the country right now. And I'm wondering what, are you one of the last ones left or will you be in, will you will you uh, becoming an apostate to the Republican party and inspire a lot more people to run? And once they run, last question, where the hell are they gonna land politically? Well, I think that part of what the Lincoln Project has done and part of my voice, and I'm certainly not the only one, but I've been a, a, a vocal one in terms of saying, this is not good. This is, an, this is what we're seeing is bad. The Republican, what is Party has, in this the, Republican Party, the Republican Party has turned sour. It is no longer the party of conservatism, as we've noted in the post-World War II era. It's the emergence and encapsulation of white nationalism. It's, it's an ugly form of populism that is the glue that holds it together is defined by declinism, this loss, this loss of Americanness understood, and white. Understood, but white let me, let me finish. Let me finish. You asked me questions. But I'm white cultural that question. You're going back to what? and I'm asking you what happened to the individual? I don't know. I mean, I don't think about it that way. I'm not concerned about that. You, maybe you might have more insight. No. I don't know. I think the question becomes what happens when people like me politically stand up and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the answer is, um, I don't know, but I can, I can share some thoughts on where I think it's heading. And that is what I've found through this process is the more strident and vocal the opposition to what we uh, to what I see and to what this group of us at the Lincoln Project have been doing, is it is it has given people the courage to say, yeah, you know what, that's not right. We've given them an alternative, and I don't know if that's a function of the Republican Party just becoming so small and so homogenous that people are naturally peeling off or because we are providing a more aspirational, optimistic vision that they are used to 
in this system and not continually focus on the degradation of the of the tribe and the country that they are what witnessing play out every day. I think you're giving them cover, Juan. Yeah. Uh, those with less courage will follow later if those with more courage leave, Juan. Correct. Um, two, That's exactly what we're experiencing right now, right. by the way. But, I, but, I'm tr but I just wanted, wondered if you could, you had an opinion on this, given that you've, in, in your world in politics, um, do you think people are less courageous individually today than they were when you started? That, that's essentially my question. Are you more of an Yeah. Well, let, that's a great question. Let me, let me just kind of, let me riff a little bit here. What, you know, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was involved in Republican politics, you were, you were viewed as a, an interesting and perhaps challenged or wayward voice if you took on the leadership, but there was also of the, of the party. Pat Buchanan, for example, let me give you an example. 1992, Pat Buchanan challenges an incumbent president and he gets a third of the vote in New Hampshire. Nobody was saying that if you support Pat Buchanan, then you're a leftist, communist, anti-American who is, you know, needs to be run out of the party. Today, if you oppose Donald Trump, that's exactly what's happening to me, even though, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush, a Northeastern, you know, country club Republican, uh, adheres a lot more along the line of conservatism than Donald Trump ever does. And what that tells me is it's not as much a statement of courage as it is a devolvement of the parties away from focusing on commonalities and more towards a cult of personality. Right, okay, and, and this is where I disagree with you. I don't believe it's about the party. I believe it's about the culture. I believe this happens on the left in addition to the right. I think there's this unbelievable sense of righteousness, and I think the, the allowance, the, as much as we talk about diversity, the more you hear the term diversity in, in America, how important it is, the, the more you will know that there isn't any. That the, the idea of pluralism, the idea that there can be variety of people variety of peoples even who believe in varieties of things is gone. And this is a Republican party in a bad way, but this is also a left problem. This is also a puritanical problem. It's a problem that if you stray from the, you know, it could be an ideological core. It could be a human at the core, but the point is we have, I'm, I'm taking your story. And while I feel bad for you it is, it, it, personally, I feel bad for the state of the country that requires so much damn conforming. There is no, there are no eccentrics left. You know, when, when they're usually crackpots. There's no individual nuance left. And my question to you essentially was a, a, the last question was a professional one. In a time where ideologies are set at, at the extremes, which is extraordinary that Joe Biden will be the nominee, by the way. Where does a guy like you end up in a job? I'm not about the party. What do you do and who do you work for? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, there is no place. And that was, what I know is that either place are not good for me. 
But I do think it is interesting. I, I, I would push back a little bit on, on the way you characterize that both. I don't believe that Donald Trump is an emblematic of extreme conservatism. No, no, no. I, don't, I didn't oh, say. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, I don't, yeah. You also said it, you, you found it peculiar that, that Joe Biden would become the nominee, right? In a time when the extremes are dominating the political discourse. Right. I think those are both. Donald Trump is not emblematic of the extreme on the right, nor is Joe Biden clearly not an example of the extreme extremism on the left. The reason why Joe Biden won and came to become the nominee was for one factor, and that is the overwhelming majority of Democrats started to believe that he was the most viable person to beat Donald Trump. Right. If you if you polled Democrats today, they would support the positions of Bernie Sanders on almost every issue over Joe Biden. But they are so focused on what they are against that that is the glue that is holding these disparate tribes together. Right. And in many ways, that's the same phenomenon that I will call the right, even though I don't believe Donald Trump is emblematic of the, of the right-left spectrum as we've known it. He's a populist. Right. He's not ideological. He represents nothing on the right-left spectrum except for the overlap by coincidence of a handful of, of, of issues. So I don't know that, I don't know that, I don't know that the extremes are dominating the debate. So, I think the question is what happens to people that are breaking out of this polarized system as the parties become more hyper-partisan and there's less and less room for disagreement. What does somebody who stands up against the orthodoxy of their own party do? Where do you go when the two party system is so institutionalized in our, in our political system? And the answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think we're finding out, and the question will become, is this really a movement that is defined by, um, let, let, me, let me back up. Here's what I think is different, because I have seen third party, quote unquote, third party movements start before. Uh, they've always failed. And the reason why they've failed is because they've struggled to find um, enough of a of, a, of an own identity on what they are for, separate from the current party. That's just not enough to make them distinct. I think at this moment in time, and we'll see if the Lincoln Project, for example, exists past November 3rd or whatever the date is, is we are, we are defined by what we are against. Right. We, we stand for very little, except we stand against Donald Trump. And that's what everybody who agrees with that right, left, center, or is like, yeah, I'm with that. Once we say what we're for, we'll start losing folks. And, and, and you're getting, I think, at the core of, of identity politics in 2020, uh, not just in the United States, but abroad, that it's, identity politics is less about pride in who you are, and it's more about disdain, if not hatred, for who you don't like. And that seems to be a, a driver. I mean, as you said, the Lincoln Project, and uh, you know, again, the fact that the Democrats have come out for Biden will not be love for Biden, it will become for disdain for Trump. But, but it, it, so it strikes me as, as we talk about identity politics as if it's about one's identity, it's about some nurturance of one's sense of, you know, one's role in the world. But it's really strikingly about enemies. It's really about who we don't like. It's a sign of, 
less about pride, less about identity, and more about uh, just removing those we disdain. And it's sort of, I don't know, I mean, it, it strikes me as, as, as they get rid of you, purification of a party, purification of anything leads to, leads to a death, right? I mean, it, it seems to me there's, it, it, there's, there's no purity among, you know, there's, you get 20 people, you get 18 opinions. Um, the other thing that strikes me is the extent to which the strong man in American culture, the strong man that, that Trump, it's not about a belief. It's, it's sort of like a mafioso culture, right? I, I've worked, I've had classes like this in a sense, but, but the sense that, that everyone falls in line from the, the top is, is less about identity, less about ideology, something about cliques and networks, but there's a lot of it about fear, a lot of it about fear and punishment. And that's what's so striking about this, that, right, that today, people, plenty of people, I, I assume, try to punish you. And, 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 and that is what, there's a lot of that going on again in the country. Um, and that's what fascinates, fascinates me about the moment, that, that it's not, again, it's not, the, it's not a love of ideas or attraction to ideas, or it's really right now, it's discipline. And it's discipline, uh, and which is exercised through, through fear uh, of excommunication. And you've been excommunicated. So, Mike, so how do you feel? How does it feel? Yeah. It feels liberating. Uh, and there's a certain, I mean, look, the truth of the matter is, I, I, you know, emotionally, I left the party when Donald Trump came down the escalator. Like, and I realized that this guy was actually <laughs> getting support. When I realized that there were actually a handful of supporters, I was like, this is, okay, this is disgusting. And yeah, it's embarrassing. Then he starts winning primaries and you start going, Oh wow! This is this is this is this is ugly. This is a real ugly side of who we are as a party. And then you start realizing, okay, it's bigger and it's getting bigger. And then the adherents, and then what I refer to as the cowards, right? The enabling class, the people who who were against it. I remember being at CPAC, right? We all talk about you know conservative PAC. I, I've been invited to go to CPAC for years. I finally accepted. The invitation to go in no in early November or not in in uh, spring of 16 2016 because I wanted to see it firsthand and at that that was the same day that I was there was the day that Mitt Romney uh, gave that famous speech saying this is not conservatism and just laying into Trump and people were cheering Romney on I mean this was the conservative establishment class these are the people who had built their fangs their fortune their lobbying firms their consulting practices the elected officials were cheering Mitt Romney on at CPAC, Donald Trump would have been so poorly received that they opted not to go. The Trump campaign did not show up. Now, by the next year, by the next year, he was, you know, hailed as Caesar as a victor coming in by the same people. And to me, that was disgusting because it wasn't just it was worse than being vanquished for your ideals. It was the cowardice and the true lack of principle that exists in a party that was willing to capitulate to preserve that financial place, that, that place of status and that title. That's what disgusted me more than anything else.
I, I, you know, you, we, look, I'm a California Republican. I'm used to losing the battle of ideas, okay? I, I, for 20 years, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a great idea that's cute, and the Democratic majority just rolls over you and says, we're going to do whatever we're going to do anyway. You get used to that. This was something completely different. This was about a complete capitulation of, of the character of people that I had known for 20, 25, 30 years of saying everything that I've stood for and worked for in my adult life, I will roll over on that and I'll join the MAGA cult and I'll scream and be belligerent and force discipline on something I don't even believe in to preserve my place in the pecking order. Yeah, I, I, I'm a cynic. I've never been a member of a party and that kind of stayed. I, I, I wasn't a Boy Scout, I wasn't a Cub Scout. Uh, I'm, 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 I've, I've never felt comfortable in groups of any sort. So uh, while I feel bad for your predicament, I also think, what the fuck did you expect? I mean, all consortiums of people are full of, are, 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 are enforced by discipline, are enforced by conformity, are, are enforced by, uh, you know, very few things are full of ideas and inspiration and love. Uh, and and if, even if they started that way, once they're institutionalized, they're really there to maintain the life of the institution. So, um, I mean, on, on some level, this is good. I mean, again, when anything is sort of broken open and so apparent, uh, this is a good time to reassess what parties are for. Like, of course, there's a pecking order. Of course, it's about status. Of course, it's about discipline. I mean, it always was. And, and, and I guess maybe of a hundred people in that party, who were part of it, maybe three of them or ideologic, were in it for ideology, I don't know. But my very cynical sense was that's what groups are all about. Uh, this is why, this is, the, and this is an inherent tension in American society, this, this sense that we are individuals, but so desperate to be, to receive approval from groups of people. And again, you get, what, what's the payoff for conformity? You know, it's again, protection, solace, understanding, you know, status, all sorts of things. So. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, we were talking the other day, if I'm in Europe or wherever the hell I'm supposed to be in November, I don't know yet. Uh, how am I going to vote because I'm a decline to state, you know? So it, it, there, are, there, there are advantages even then. I, I mean, I'll figure it out at some point, but I, I'm just wondering if, if maybe it's a good moment, just broadly not speaking in terms of partisanship or, or politics. Maybe this is a good moment to blow this shit open and ask Americans, can you think for yourself? Can you, we've become- well, that, that's, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah, you're saying a lot of really, there's a lot of, lot of pearls of wisdom here, a couple of things. And let me, let me answer that first, that last question first. And uh, can you think for yourself? That's the, that's the question that frightened the founders who, who created the constitution. They, their answer was no, no, <laughs> you can't, right? So they created all these safety checks, right? Let's have a Senate, let's have an electoral college, let's have representative government, let's build all these barriers in because no, the answer is no, you cannot think for yourself. And I would argue that what we are witnessing in the Republican Party right now is precisely what frightened the founders. It is mob rule. And here's why. It is different. It is foundationally different as an institution than it was four or five years ago. The glue that held this gang together was some basic ideological framework. That's what a party supposed or used to be. That is gone. So when you say, what did you expect? That's what I expected. You join a group because it says, this is what we stand for. Hold but on. Let me interrupt and I'll let you go back. You joined 
and I happen to know your story, but plenty yeah. of people that you knew didn't join, they inherited that identity from their mothers or fathers. Right. So, so you joined, and again, you were one of the people who believed that the zealot, the, the, the convert is always more zealous, but there are plenty of people yeah. who joined that party who, were, who just adopted it because their parents were Republican. Yeah, I do, I do think it's really important as we look back at the devolution of the Republican Party and notice that it is largely the intellectual class that has remained as what they would define as a conservative. George Will came out two days ago and said, I'm voting for Joe Biden. George Will has written the story of modern day conservatism more than anybody, perhaps Bill Buckley, William Buckley, okay? George Will, the author of modern conservatism has said, this is not conservatism and I'm out, hold on. So it's not just the intellectual class, it's also the professional political class at the highest levels. The Lincoln Project, and then you add on people like Stuart Stevens, who's affiliated with us, Mike Murphy. If you could name the top 10 Republican political consultants, eight of them are currently engaged in bringing this down. And very few of them are convinced that it is it can be atoned for and rebuilt in its current structure. And that's I remarkable. That's remarkable. And what that tells me is it's not just adherence because for adherence's sake, it means for certain people, it, myself included, it was about far, far more than that. And that's to the answer to the question, what was I expecting? It was not this. But I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's reflective of other organizations outside political parties. I don't know if that's reflective of nations or, or other organizations or religions. I don't know. Most, most identities, uh, much, many, many identities across the world, less so in the United States, are passed on, are inherited. And, uh, you know, I was raised to be a Democrat by Democratic parents. Uh, I, I left it at some point. Uh, but most things aren't a choice. Most things are a struggle. You know, identity isn't just, you know, decided upon. We, it, it's, it's also imposed upon. You know that as a Mexican-American, how many people have ever just sort of said, hey, you must think this because you're this. Uh, so, so I don't know. You know again, I'm, I'm, my interest is in uh, to dream of some ideological and intellectual renaissance in this country. Uh, and you're perhaps lucky that you are in the midst of destruction. Uh, that perhaps their other institutions can also be destroyed. And the beauty of the moment of destruction, however much pain it brings, is that things can be rebuilt. Things can be rethought of. And so, so, so automatic behaviors, I am going to do this and think this and vote this, are now laid bare and say, oh shit, well, like, if it doesn't bring me this status, if it doesn't keep me this job, what do I think? And I would, I, you know, shoot, I would, I, Best case scenario for me, for the Republican Party, that there are groupings of people who create options for people to join uh, sort of different consortium, different constituencies, that there is something that isn't about what it has become. And that, that's my hope from any institution in America that's become so much, I mean, higher education is essentially about maintaining the status of those who already have it. So, so I don't know, I, I think this is a great moment. I, I realize that you're in the midst of it and it's painful, but it also could be a really promising moment, both politically and intellectually. 
what should a conservative party stand for? That's a wonderful well, question. Yeah. Look, and it's not, it's not, it's not, I'm, I'm in no pain because of this. I, I mean, you've accused me of being an optimist. <laughs> I'm going to take that. But this is why everything you just outlined, that is the root, that is the root of my optimism. This system has not worked. And it's not just a political system. It's, it's an entire societal, a lot of our institutions don't work. It's why people have been losing faith in them. They just don't work. So then, then, then breaking down, it, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It feels very chaotic. It feels like the world is out of control. In many ways it is. But that doesn't mean that we're not birthing something new. That's what I'm excited about. I'm still young enough to see it and maybe even influence it. I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't believe that this is the end of times. I think it's the beginning of times. Yeah, and I, I can only hope the same for the Democratic Party, but right now I think we need the Democratic Party to beat Trump. But it, and, and right now is not a time for, for anybody to reform it, uh, evidently. But the, I, believe, I, believe the, I, believe, I believe it's gonna break up uh, faster than the Republican Party. And can I tell, can I, can I take a couple oh. seconds and say, the Republican Party is devolving into a small monolithic demographic. It doesn't have the capacity to change course anymore. They're not going to wake up if Donald Trump loses and say, "Oh, I, we maybe we need to be you know better with young people and minorities," and suddenly either wants to do that or have the capacity to do that. That train left the station. It chose its demographic destiny, and it's going to ride that into into nothingness in 20, 30 years. The Democratic Party is a far bigger constituency because at this point it's essentially everybody in America except that demographic, right? The Republican Party said we are going to be the party of white, non-college educated, largely males. The Democratic Party by default, not by what it stands for, by, by what it stands against, is a, is, a, is a coalition of everybody else. That's not sustainable. And I don't mean in the long term or the medium term, I mean in the short term. I mean, by like summer of next year, if Joe Biden is president, there's going to be massive eruptions and fissures in the Democratic coalition. Right. There, there has to be. Right. Well, as you know, I don't really like politics. Uh, I was a, uh, I, I find it the sort of the, the lowest form of our existence on some level. It's a, it's a necessary evil. And I, uh, I used to be a talking head, you know, this on MSNBC and in the 2000 election, I met a VP once and I said, well, I don't know why I'm doing this because I don't really like it. He said, that's why I like you because you clearly don't like it. So, but, but I, but I, I, I want to tell you a story how I, how I learned to learn its importance. Uh, actually, never mind. Let's edit this out. Um, yeah, I got nothing to say. What was that about? I want to hear the story. I, I read a book by the smartest man I've ever met. Uh, his name is uh, Wolf uh, Lepenies, a, a German uh, scholar. And it's called The Seduction of Culture in, in German History. And in a nutshell, and I went to visit him uh, at a think tank he worked at, I believe in Wannsee section of Berlin. Uh, and essentially he argued that in Germany's case, the culture existed before the nation existed. And that the elites uh, identified Germanists by opera or by a poet or poetry or by music. And they, they thought they were above politics. Uh, 
uh, in a way that, a disdainful way that I often think of politics. And he said that was the, the way that Hitler came to power. In essence, that the elites were too, didn't want to get messy. They didn't want to identify Germany by politics. They wanted to identify it by high culture. And that was why and how the path to Hitler's rise. So that has shamed me ever since, my friend. And I realize whenever I can't stand it, I think of it as a necessary evil, as something that we must grapple with. Uh, but maybe on another episode, we could talk about the need to stop romanticizing it on some level. But that's another, that's another thought. But that is how I was deeply shamed into realizing the importance of politics and my need to respect it. Even though you disdain it, as I think that, that I think that's healthy. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, then, then I'm then I'm supremely happy. The people, the, the people who love politics are the most dangerous. Yes. No. Thank you. Uh, that's, no, that that's absolutely true, and that's that's that has gotten us in large part to where we are. I mean, look, the rise the the, the rise of the problems in Germany are, are not totally unparalleled here, it, it was a failure of elitism. Yeah. Pop populism is a failure of elitism. That's essentially what it is, right? If the elites can't guide us, if the elites can't manage it, there will be a mob rule, there will be a rising up of people saying, this needs to be about me and us, and if we can't have the promise of whatever mythology you're selling us, then we'll take it into our own hands and watch what we'll do with it. In three years, we'll crash the economy, have a global pandemic killing tens of thousands of people, and there will be racial strife uh, throughout every you know, community in America. It, it's what the Federalist Papers were based on. It's, what, it's why the founders created the safeguards that they did. I believe they did it for precisely this moment in American history. Well, I had started this taping in a good mood. I've ended it in less of a good mood. But essentially, you gave me the, the, the QOTD, people who love politics are the most dangerous. So <laughs> I, I want to I seize on that and the rest of what you said. So thank you for your time. Uh, and I hope, uh, I, I hope the kerfuffle over your being kicked out of the California Republic, uh, Republican Party uh, uh, allows you to sleep, sleep well at night. Thanks for joining us all. Thanks.